This episode of Bushwick Breakaway is brought to you by the Salvation Army. That's right. Your donations can help those affected by COVID-19 find help and hope. To give, ask your smart speaker to make a donation to the Salvation Army or give your gift as at SalvationArmyUSA.org. That's SalvationArmyUSA.org. Okay, fun show today. Have uh, Jillian Kemmerer of uh, KHL fame, uh, cover fame, covering fame, coverage fame, uh, comes comes on the show. We actually talk about Leah Sanderson. We talk about um, we talk about Igor. We talk about Kraftsov. There's a lot to go around here. Uh, somehow, still talking New York Rangers. So let, before we uh, do that, let's get to Mark Messier, shall we? Here we go. Hi everybody, it's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Welcome to the Bushwick Breakaway. I am your host, as per always, Ryan Mead of The Athletic. And I'm here with my co-host, Gregory Kaplan, also of The Athletic, in a sports-filled world on a very, very fantastic 4-2020. Everything in hindsight, right? Gregory, say hello. So here's how productive my day was today, Ryan. Tell Are you me, ready? baby. Hit me. Over the last three or four weekends, right. I have gambled on 93 horse races. And in those 93 horse races, mm-hmm. I have wagered money on 178 different horses. That was my follow-up question. Oh, so, Of those 178 different horses, I have hit winners on 33 and second place finishes on 30. Now, more importantly, let's break those numbers down again. Okay. So 93 races. I'm doing it. Yep. 93. Of those 93 races, 22 times, I correctly had the winner in that race that got me money. That is a... 23.7% average. And that's pretty good for horse I, racing. Uh, it's not enough. Okay. And I also hit, I think, seven exactas, which means the race has finished 1-2 the exact way I wanted them to finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, my math, I think I need to be around 28% to be making a profit. So that's that's how productive my day was today. So that was next. Ex- now, I know you hate Excel. So did you do that on paper or on an Excel spreadsheet? On paper. Wow, that's my guy. Old school. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Old I, I, Excel, I'm sure, would have made my life easier, but I've been tracking the races on paper and then saving the pieces of paper in which I track the races on. So then I today I just, for lunch, I decided to do math, and that's what my math figured out. 22 of 93 well, is my record. I'm proud that your SAT scores uh, still reflect your math abilities, and... Did you do well on the SAT? Yeah, there was no, there was no Excel on the SAT when I took it. All right, that's true. I didn't even take it. So there you go. Surprise. Well, um, uh, I was hoping that Kevin Hayes would be enjoying his nice 420, but he's just doing a meeting, uh, a Zoom meeting with Chris Kreider and a bunch of other people, their former Rangers, aka everyone that someone, played. Someone, I think, I think friend of the podcast Sarah Sivian had the best joke of the day where today's Zoom call was the NHL's version of Goodwill Hunting. Oh, that is a good joke. Damn. Yeah, Chris Chris Kreider 100 is Will Hunting. In this scenario, yes, and Kevin Hayes, one hundred percent Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, yeah, no. Uh, and Keith Keith Yandel is Robin Williams. I didn't watch the call. I actually didn't even know where I could watch it. I just saw some pictures of it. I looked for it and I couldn't find it. So maybe that's on me for being a bad uh, researcher at this point in my life. But I don't. I've lost some motivation, as you might have. You might know. Um, but I can only imagine that. Like I, I'm kind of disappointed that Kevin wasn't lit up for it. Like I know it was an important meeting call. 
But, like, today is Kevin's holiday. Like, this is what Kevin cares about way more than Christmas. It's so high up for him. Sure, but a, a true stoner yeah. doesn't realize it's 420. Mm, that's fair. Every day for every, every holiday. Every day is 420, yeah. Uh, good point. Yeah. Um, uh, also, could someone, just one person, could one person in the NHL get an interior decorator and put something on the wall behind it? It is. I wouldn't have met, thought about that, but you pointed it out. And I just I went back and looked a little bit. Nobody has anything on their walls, and it makes me wonder if yeah. they have like the wallless room they go to for these meetings. But it might just be everywhere. I don't. I don't. I just think that they don't put stuff up on their wall. I think every athlete has one room that becomes like a trophy room, like the memory where room. jerseys get framed and they get hung up on the wall. But the trophy room is never out in the open. I don't know. Even I, growing up, my family room had we had pictures of like there was stuff on the wall specifically. It seems these uh, most of these pads, these bachelor or not, are not decorated, and that's about the, the extent of my research in the NHL this week. Um, to be fair, to be fair, I guess the argument for fair. why they're not decorated is think about during a normal season, how much time are these guys actually? When are you actually them? there? Like never. Yeah. I mean, they would they would probably be moving. Yeah, their lease probably ends right about now. So I guess because uh, well, the season would be over, or they'd be in the playoffs. I don't know how this works leasing etc uh let's talk about whatever news there was this week in mr ranger town or mrs ranger town whichever uh yeah very little um so the leas anderson article came out i'm sure you saw um i did pretty much saying that you know he found out that he had some bad habits about himself and that's why he went back i find some of it confusing and i don't think that's the whole story um i think it's nice that he if that is partially the truth that he came out and said like hey i'm still young obviously i've had some self-realization I was forming bad habits, and this wasn't the best place for me, and I left. What I thought was odd was when we first covered this story, um, he mentioned a couple different things about, like, the way the organization treated him and um, mentioned some sort of – not bullying, but, like, that there were things happening. And obviously none of that was brought up again. But I don't know if it's changing the story itself. I I think it's really nice of what Leas to come out and say that those things were affecting him, taking the sleeping pills – playing games all night, waiting to talk to friends, like being homesick and being young. And it's, it's hard for a lot of different people. It's hard for people right now uh, being away from people all the time. So I get why Leas would say that, but I do remember the initial story and correct me if I'm wrong on that, Gregory, uh, Leas placing a, like some or a majority of the blame, or at, le- at least maybe it wasn't Leas, it was Leas's agent placing a lot of the blame on the Rangers organization. Uh, I don't remember. Okay. So I'm not going to say... One way or the other. I remember him saying that there was like a culture issue, mm-hmm. but yeah. I don't think that I don't think he put that squarely at the feet of the Rangers. I think my interpretation of it, and we're playing we're playing quarantine psychologist well, of something that happened. Nothing. We have month, nothing else many to do. Many moons ago. So right. Uh, I I think Leas could say that there were culture issues because the culture it's not anything he's grown up around or has been a part of in his life so something that might seem normal to someone like you or myself Mm -hmm. could be very different and interpreted very differently even negatively by someone who is coming from the outside in i don't remember anything about bullying i don't remember i i I did try and correct myself there i don't think bullying actually came up yeah i if leas leas could very easily think the rangers treated him improperly and it could be stuff that you or myself or anyone else would interpret as the rangers just being the rangers and trying to t- treat everyone the same not giving leas any kind of 
special attention, not giving him any thing different that they would have given to someone else. I, I think it's, it's all murky. I, I don't think the Rangers necessarily ever did anything unjust. I just think that the Rangers, maybe Elias is a kid that needs hands on his daily routine more oh, than anybody else. There's good, some good save there, Greg. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> there, there, look, there's some people who need strict schedules and there are some people who need everything to be regimen for them. And when you come to the NHL, yes, the team is going to give some of that for you simply by saying this is when practices and this is when games are. But some, some people, for lack of a better term, some people need a babysitter here and there. I'm not saying Leas, that's not like an immaturity dig at Leas. I don't, I, I think Leas, the fact that he's 21, 22 years old and he's got enough self-reflection to say that, Hey man, I fucked some of this up myself. There's nothing the Rangers did that put me in this situation. I developed my own bad habits and I need to come to terms with that. I didn't have that kind of reflection at 21, 22. That's for damn sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might not have it now for lack of maturity on we, my, we all make mistakes. Yeah. So it's, it's admirable that Leas has enough self-reflection. I, his personality, he might be thriving in Sweden because he's got a support system around him that's going to hold him accountable at all steps. When you get to the NHL, the team will hold you accountable to a certain extent, but you're also on your own, right? That's why guys like Chris Kreider, I think, thrive in these kind of situations where it Kreider understood it was his responsibility to get the most out of him and put him continuously put himself in situations to succeed, whereas – you know, think about think about how we reacted the first time we went off to college. I it was a fucking vacation, and there were classes I didn't go to. There were tests I didn't take seriously. I was away from home, and I very much enjoyed being away from home. And you kind of get the impression that Leas also enjoyed being away from home, and might have played a role in the fact that his game struggled. And now he realizes that. I still think sitting here today on this holy of days. I don't think Leah Sanderson will ever put a New York Rangers jersey on again. I think the Rangers will find a soft landing spot for him, even if it's just continuously loaning him out to the Swedish league until his entry-level contract expires. I I think Leah's days as a Ranger are done, and I think both parties are equally responsible. I I, I would agree. I think there's there's – there's probably some things that we'll never know, um, culture-wise, or maybe there wasn't. Honestly, it's all up for interpretation, and, and we probably shouldn't judge it until we have the facts, but that's what we do here. Um, but I, I, I do think, to counter your point, I think there's a slight chance we see Leah Sanderson again. I'd put it around 10 to 15%. I, know, I, I see your side and why we'd never see him again, but part of me just thinks that he may be not too valuable, obviously, because I don't think he um, is anything more than a bottom six forward at this point. But he could be uh, still a piece for the Rangers, and they might try and coerce him to come back over. And I'm, I'd be curious to see if they, they ended up doing that. Uh, the other piece... I, think, oh, I think the closest he'll get is wearing a Wolfpack jersey. And the only reason the Rangers would even do that is to rebuild some of his North American trade value. That's fair. Uh, I think that's fair. And we'll see. We'll have plenty more time to talk about Leah Sanderson. Other piece of news from this week, other than Chris Kreider and the mass, the mass Halls doing a uh, nice little... Uh, Zoom info meeting is Capococco did a quick interview uh, where he was driving a car and two guys from the backseat were interviewing him. 
and they asked him about the wow it's a nice city meme um pretty much he said they shoved a cell phone in his face and told him to say something i mean really we all knew that didn't we um that's about I it i think you said that before i don't know if he's ever said it on record but i thought uh, it was interesting to say it, see it now, but maybe I, I don't thought know. He said it on record. But he I've... he pretty much said like, "Hey, this isn't really living in Finland anymore. I have cameras around me all the goddamn time, and they're telling me what to say and taking my pictures." So you know, he handled it and walked forward. That was it. But you know, that's where we are with news. <laughs> yeah, I also I also angered people on the interwebs by saying uh, the stop, Hartford right? Whalers. Yeah, the Hartford Whalers. We got to the Eastern Conference Finals and lost, and then the LA. Kings oh, won I did the see that. Yeah, I ignored that on purpose. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah, tagged in that sorry. one a few times because I couldn't. I wasn't gonna think. I would have. <laughs> hey, look, the Hartford Whalers would have been happy to draft Cabo Caco, but we got the sixth pick and we have Bowen Byram. Right. I don't know what to say. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. You know, at least you give me. A he was number one. He was number one on our draft boards going into it, but he didn't fall to six. Oh, it's tough to see. Uh, all right, why don't we get to a little bit of five star questions? We have a couple of those this week, and then we can get over to our good friend Jillian. How, how about that? How about that? Uh, our first one comes from our good friend Brian Doyle. He actually texted me it. He said, five-star question. Considering New York will be... Oh, if you want to leave these five-star questions, by the way, go to iTunes. Search Boosters Breakaway. Leave a five-star review. Read them on the show. That's simple. Uh, five-star. Considering New York will be in in the clear for business, bars, etc. being open, when would you guys feel comfortable organizing a meetup? Oof. Uh, I mean... If, if This is if... You know, New York is in the clear, et cetera. Yeah, it's it's never going to be up to us. That's for sure. I will say, I, as soon as a medical professional tells me that it's okay to hang out in groups, I'm not going to have any hesitations hanging out in a group, right? Yeah. But I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for the science to tell me when it's okay to go. I if they tell if, look if they tell me June first, you can gather with friends without having to worry about wearing anything over your face and all that stuff. Cool. We'll hang out in June, but I'm, I, I'm not going to rush science, right? Mike. We, got, we need testing. We need, um, we need not just immediate testing in terms of whether you have the bug or not. We need antibody testing to see if you've picked up any kind of immune system upgrades while battling this disease one way or another. The doctors are going to tell us when it's fine. It, uh, for us, it'll be within a reasonable time for us to plan something after the doctors give us the okay. I think fe- I, I'm not next February have... was my gut reaction. <laughs> I Look, it, I would love to go to a Met game this summer. I would go to a Met game this summer if a doctor told me it was safe. If, if City Field was open, I have no hesitation, no reservations about hanging out with a large group of people. But there are people much smarter than me and much more prepared to fight this than I'll ever be. And I'm following their lead. When they tell me it's good to go, I'll be ready to go. I don't trust anyone who says it's good to go right now because it's clearly not. So agree. don't go to the beach in Florida. Don't go to a movie theater in Georgia. And don't go to you Georgia. You're fucking smart. <laughs> yeah, um, I want to go to Georgia right now. My best friend lives there, so it's uh, I'm getting a lot of updates. Lived there for six years, Ryan. I'm in no hurry to go back. Yes. This one's from Crossword Bro. Tom from New York here. First time, long time. Thanks, Tom. Uh, thank you guys for doing what you're doing during these crazy times. With the season unlikely to continue, what do you think the most fun changes to the draft lottery would be? What would be the interesting slash best? More uh, more than the first three picks subject to the lottery, adjusting the lottery odds, scrapping it entirely for some crazy Ryan idea. P.S. Greg, uh, Greg is a Catholic who grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> oh, boy. And a diehard Yankee fan. I assume this makes Greg my mortal enemy. I, I too, was very upset, and I couldn't bet on 
of, on horse racing on Easter Sunday. Stay safe, guys. Uh, to be fair, <laughs> I don't care about anyone's religion. Whatever you want to believe in, man, go for it. I went to Catholic school for college <laughs> as a Jew. And I tell people all the time that I'm pretty sure I got in on affirmative action. Hardcore. My grades weren't it. Hardcore atheist here, right here. And also yeah, went to Marist. Yeah, man. Whatever you want to believe in, go for it. I choose to believe in the New York Mets. So I you tell me who's who's putting their faith in worse places. Yeah. Uh, what do I think the draft lottery? I mean, it's it's hard because. We just don't know. <laughs> well, it's, it's not just that, but it's almost like reverse. It's the reverse playoff discussion where teams on the bubble of playoff contention don't want the season to start again without having a shot at the playoffs. Well, what if you're the New York Islanders and you were all of a sudden trending downward and you don't know if you're actually going to make the playoffs or not. Now that the playoffs aren't happening, should you be excluded from the lottery process just because you happen to finish seventh or eighth in a conference standing that now doesn't mean anything. So it's, it, it's tough. I think playoff teams, rightfully, un- unless you're like the elite of the elites, like the Boston Bruins and the St. Louis Blues, they don't have any – they don't really have any leg to stand on when it comes to a lottery discussion. But what about the bubble playoff teams? I, I think the NHL is going to have to get super creative. Or honestly, this might be the one year where you just say fuck the lottery and people are going to draft 1-31 to 31, depending on how you finish the season points-wise. I think you cut out – about like 12 teams. So the top 12 teams are not in the lottery. So that would pretty much be Toronto above. And those elite teams, I mean, I guess I see what you're saying about the Islanders. Um, and everyone is so close in points. I'm looking at this final standings right now before the season ended. And everyone has games in hand. So it really is like a super tough. But I, I, I do think maybe just, just cutting out the elites, like – I think everyone else has to be in the lottery. If there was a chance you were going to miss the playoffs, you've got to be in. Um, I'm not sure if I have a crazy idea yet, but I'd like to take a week to think about like maybe a crazy draft idea or two, come back and discuss it next week. Yeah, I just I think in these odd times, any kind of lottery system just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I do think this this is the one year if the NHL were to go, especially without there being a playoffs, if the NHL were to just say lowest points pick first, most points pick second and the tiebreaker is if you had games in hand. I, th- I think that's the only, like if we're looking Detroit, for fair. Detroit I think, would love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, De- Detroit's going to pick top three, no matter what though. So they're good. They're, they're chilling. Yeah. I think the teams that hurts, it's like what happens with Ottawa who was going to have two lottery picks this year. That does suck for Ottawa. Um, the Rangers will probably get someone good. No matter what happens here, this Draft is pretty loaded. Hopefully someone comes. You're probably going to come away with a quality NHL player. Maybe it's not, not to mention the Rangers have two first round draft picks that they could package with other things to move up in this draft or make trades. Um, all right. Next question that, is from, that, I like how you say, or make trades to me saying they could make trades. I mean, I mean, Great. I meant trades for NHL players. My apologies. Um, not move up in the draft. Uh, like they have the world is their oyster. That's correct. This is from Chris in Florida. Great job. as always on the podcast. First question. I think it's time for the NHL and the NBA to call their season. It's clear neither are coming back this season without drastically affecting the 2021 season. Should the NHL adopt a similar system to what they did during the lockout in 2005? Teams were weighted based on their playoff appearance in the last three completed season and first overall picks in the last four, four drafts. Three lottery balls, each were assigned to the teams, which had not qualified for any of those playoffs and received no first overall picks in that period. 
Teams would have wow, this is pretty depth in depth. Teams which had one playoff appearance or one first overall pick were given two lottery balls, and all the teams received one lottery ball. That can add to the lottery ball based off the record of the last year, make it more balanced, and not be unfair to the Red Wings. I guess this is the kind of like wonky system we were just discussing, is it? Um, where you, you get a certain amount of lottery balls by exactly what's happened to your team over the past three years. Um, and maybe that's maybe that's the way to end up doing it. As someone who did a lot of math on about gambling today, mm-hmm. that was too much math. Yes. Uh, pretty much she says this would hurt teams like the Devils who have gotten tw- two first overall picks in the last three years. And it would reward teams like the Rangers who would get a maximum – to get the maximum amount of lottery balls under this scenario. Let me know what you think. Great work as always. Enjoy the DVDs. I can't wait to rewatch the playoff series on the podcast. Chris from Florida. Um, shout out to Chris for doing that, by the way. Uh, I think I think this is an interesting idea. Maybe this is the wild and crazy idea. I'd like to be able to explain that better on the podcast for everyone listening who's head spinning currently. Uh, but I think in in general, what Chris is saying here is the sum of your last three years, there's certain check marks. Like if you got a certain amount of uh, a, a, a top pick, where you finished in the playoffs, how far you finished in the playoffs, your overall season standing, and depending on those things, you would either get one lottery ball, two lottery ball, three lottery balls, and that's how they do the entire draft. I think that's an okay move. We'll see. Um, this next question is from and final question is from. I will, I, uh, I'll, I'll, I will just say this. Mm-hmm. I'll add this. I think it's a it's very different when we're considering. The NHL did that because they lost a full season, right? Uh-huh. We're basically just talking about Playoffs. losing a playoff. Mm-hmm. The season still happened. Uh, I, I think it's harder to – I can't imagine a scenario where a team like the Bruins, again, not to use them as the example, but it's just when I think of really good hockey teams, they tend to come to mind first. It's hard to think of a scenario the NHL signing off on a thing where the Bruins, who played incredible hockey this year – all of a sudden get rewarded and get a top pick just because the playoffs were canceled. They would have a lower odds, but yes. But it would still be in, have the percentage of getting the top pick. Yeah, they'd still have the chance. So I think... That's a lot of value. I, I would still lean towards, instead of the the scenario where the, the NHL loses a full season, I'd still just lean towards, look, worst record this year gets one, best record this year gets 31. Congratulations on winning some weird half-assed season got canceled, but you're the best team trophy. I, I don't know. Final question. This is from Lenny's Rough. Top three favorite movies. Also, Greg, that guy you were arguing about, the Florida beaches in Jacksonville had, oh, the guy that you were arguing about on Twitter, I guess, with Florida beaches had Jacksonville in their bio. Shocker. It's pretty funny. Shout out to yeah, Jackson, I, Jacksonville. Um, yeah, look, look, just because the... I'll say this once, and I don't mean to be antagonistic, but I'll be antagonistic. Wow, great. Just because the disease isn't there now doesn't mean the disease won't get there. Who knows? Right? Kentucky had protests all weekend long, and all of a sudden they report today their highest spike in positive coronavirus tests. uh, I don't know, Greg. Silence just doesn't add up. Just doesn't add up for me, okay? Doesn't doesn't make any sense. Open open the economy. Just just because you think it's safe doesn't mean it's actually safe, all right? Top three favorite Better safe than sorry. That's Literally, the saying (laughs) better safe than sorry exists. And this is one of those moments where you should probably, I don't know, listen to it. Uh, top three mo- top three movies is tough. It is tough. The question, I, the question I liked on Twitter today, which I retweeted, and then we talked about uh, with our friends on Facebook, that. was if you could pick any three movies from one director mm. and watch those three movies for the one, for the rest of your life and no other movies, what would you do? I would do Tarantino. I went with, 
Well, what three Tarantinos is the question? I think I would do Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, and I think Hollywood. I went, uh, I went Christopher Nolan, and That's I went well. Dark Knight, Dark Knight, The Prestige, and Dunkirk. But an intriguing one that uh, some of our friends decided to go with. Uh, one went with Edgar Wright, and he took mm, Baby Driver. He took Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim. And Shaun of the Dead. That's a good one, man. And that's a great one. And then another one said uh, Adam McKay, and when the other guys, Anchorman, and Step Brothers. So I've never seen the other guys, but it's really had a resurgence oh recently, like big time. But it's not. It hasn't had a resurgence. It's just you have people like Fitz and I who are on Twitter all day saying it's the greatest comedy of the last fifteen years, and I, we're right. I have to do it soon. I've watched it twice since the quarantine started. I'm big on Community right now. Great show. Um, I'm going through Community as well. Uh, I think my top three favorite movies, it's so impossible for me to do this, but I think Shawshank Redemption is up there. I really like, and this is weird, this is like a niche movie. I really like Groundhog's Day. <laughs> I really enjoy that movie. I don't know why. Um, and then, man, it's it, there's so many good options. I think Glorious Bastards would be my top three. Instead of giving, I, I, I think it's also impossible to give a top three. So I'm going to give it's three impossible. movies that most people probably haven't spent a lot of time thinking about and need to go back and rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um I will always pump up the nice guys. I think love, it's not... love, love, love that movie. It it sucks because Shane Black also did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but he doesn't really have a third movie. So I wanted to go Shane Black, but I don't want to watch Iron Man three for the rest of my life. Iron Man three is um, actually bad. Yeah, but uh, the nice guys. If you're looking for a like a comedy thriller that you might not have seen, it came out pretty recently too. Uh, Heartbreakers is one of the deeper cut rom-coms of the 90s that i think it's overlooked it is prime jennifer love hewitt like at the peak of her powers Mm -hmm. Uh, it's also really good jason lee in a funny role so go back and rewatch that one and then if you're looking for a more serious movie master and commander might be my favorite russell crowe movie i've heard good things about that yeah well my our buddy john york and i are big master and commander guys uh it it, russell crowe is an english Navy captain back in the days of the 1800s, uh, and they're hunting down a French warship in the Atlantic Ocean, basically. It is phenomenal. It's very good. Tough to um, say that with Gladiator exists, but I haven't seen the movie, so. I, it, I, look, I've, I love Gladiator. It's no knock on Gladiator. Uh, I just I think it's my favorite Russell Crowe movie, and I, I don't think it's very close. All right, let's, uh, let's get to our, our dear friend, uh, Jillian who writes for the KHL. I don't know her podcast name off the top of my head. It's killing me. It is... The Face Off. There you go. The Face Off. And uh, she's one you of are. my... I, 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 I say that, and I will, say, I will say this. Jillian's one of my favorite guests ever on this podcast of all time, and I'm very excited to speak to her. So let's transition over there. But first, a quick ad transition. Hey, have you guys heard about the Black Tux? The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or a tuxedo for their big day. Do you know the black tux was actually started by two guys who once had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could ever imagine? It turns out they weren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from a competitor tux shop that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is terrible unless you like dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy, so we were afraid of his bad vibes might have followed us our wedding day, so we left. Um, if you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off code with code BLUESHIRTS. Or actually, it's Rangers. I do this every single time. Code Rangers. That's theblacktux.com. 
with code Rangers for 10% off your purchase, the Black Tux formal wear for the movement. I did have a Black Tux one from one of my best friend's wedding where I was the best man. And I have to tell you, I was extremely satisfied. Use the code Rangers. Back to the show. Hey, we're back with one of my first, first, favorite guests ever, uh, Jillian Kemmerer. I almost nailed it, I think. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know you covered the KHL and you have a uh, interview series called The Face Off. You've been uh, with us before. We've met in person and had a lovely night when social gatherings were still available to us. How are you doing? I wish I could have a beer with you, even if it was six feet away. That was such a fun night. I know. It was a great time, and especially because the bar pretty much let us drink for free, which was awesome because we did nothing. Oh, um, yeah. That's what, that, that's, it. There were, they had two open bars going on at the same time, and all we had to do to participate in the other open bar was donate $5. Yeah. It was like, donate $5 <laughs> to this and $5. drink for three hours. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like a really good time. Um, that was that was a shitty Ranger game. I think the Rangers lost like four to one. It was the Capitals though. absolutely crushed them. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, it was a shitty game. That's right. It was before your kind of turnarounds. So we were all just drinking because we had to. It wasn't even because we wanted to. Yeah, it was. Well, it was to. both. <laughs> we wanted to. We uh, wanted to. We did. Um, we brought you on today to talk about some some. Uh, well, I have a few questions about the KHL. What exactly is happening with the KHL in the in the face of COVID? Uh, so. Between the dates of approximately March 14th and March 25th, the KHL changed course about five times. So it was like suffering whiplash. It was, it was really tough. Basically, because the KHL encompasses six countries, you had six different countries with six different disaster reliefs trying to figure out how they were going to host games, fans, no fans. Moscow was limiting to like 5,000 people. It was a nightmare. And the first thing that happened was that Joker at Helsinki pulled out of the playoffs entirely. They were on like Trump's original Schengen travel ban and they had, you know, they had plenty of expats, et cetera. So they decide they're out of the playoffs. So the KHL's already played round one. They're getting ready to play round two. Two days later, the team in Kazakhstan pulls out. So now both of the teams that are outside of Russia pulled. And then the day after that, the KHL announces that they're suspending the playoffs for one week to restructure it because they went from eight teams to six. But like in the meantime, they're bleeding farm players. So guys that are on teams that are still qualified and still in are like, screw this, I'm going home. I'm not risking it. And I was talking to players who had maybe a pregnant wife or a family there. And it was just a nightmare. They wanted to get out of Russia as quickly as possible. So I think it was March 17th or so, they suspend for one week. And then within a couple of hours, they met with the Ministry of Sport and suspended for approximately a month. And then a few days later, they canceled the season entirely. So the KHL is coming back in September. But the funny thing is, it doesn't just impact the teams that were qualified because the KHL teams practice, most of them, until contract expiration. So like, your team doesn't make it or you get bounced out round one, a couple of weeks later, you're back and practicing for the end of your contract expiration. So everybody was in disarray leading up to that. And, and it was just sort of a nightmare. But as of right now, I mean, a lot of KHL training camps start in July and, and, you know, kind of heat up in August and God knows where the world's going to be at that point. So I think it remains to be seen, but as of now season over and we're starting back up in the fall. Yeah. But is, there's a real question about, whether the KHL in its current form will actually start back up in the fall, right? I'm not just talking health-wise. I think a couple of teams have already said if this doesn't get resolved soon, they're going to be worse than financially broke. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. I know we see an influx of KHL signings at this point in the NHL calendar anyway. It certainly feels like we're seeing more than we would have normally, 
do you, do you think there's any fears that players are going to leave the KHL entirely right now because it feels like there's a more guaranteed paycheck down the road in the NHL? I I don't know necessarily. For there is one thing that is for sure. Uh, a team in Vladivostok, Admiral, actually dropped out of the upcoming season because of financial issues. Their, I believe their title sponsor said something related to COVID-19 and its impact. They're unable to meet the salary requirements of the KHL. So the KHL has lost a team in the Eastern Conference. And this is a team that's had financial trouble before. I actually know some players that were still in legal battle to get their full results of their payments from previous seasons when, when Admiral went bankrupt before. So that's a bit of a nightmare in and of itself. You also have the team in China, Kunlin Red Star, that you have players and, and coaches that are asking, can we really go back to China after all of this? And what would that look like? And there's been some talk of them potentially moving cities or playing in Europe or playing in Russia. I don't know. Um, you are seeing an influx of KHL players to the NHL. And some of it just has to do with the fact that this is a big year for some of the top prospects. So you're getting a lot of attention because Kaprizov and Sorokin, this was always sort of the time that they were going to be coming over. Mihail Grigorenko is not necessarily a surprise, but an interesting um, choice today. I, I knew that he wanted a second shot at the NHL. The fact that he signed the one year in Columbus, I mean, he's been playing incredibly well. And I think he redeemed himself between NHL since. Um, and then Alexander Romanov is the one we're kind of waiting for final confirmation of that it's largely expected he'll go to Montreal, even though he's quite young. So I think it's a lot of it is timing and the fact that these guys are right for the picking at the moment. But yeah, I mean, the NHL right now, we don't know what it's going to come back as, but we are pretty confident that it's going to come back at least for the, the next season. So there is a bit of security there, but I, I do think that the KHL will come back even if it's postponed. And some of the influx that we're seeing, it's, it's timing, right? Because the KHL is over. They, their contracts don't expire until April 30th, but they're talking. And then as of May 1st, if the NHL were to come back and relax the rule they have, which says that nobody can negotiate um, for this upcoming or this current season, they have to wait for the upcoming season. If they relax that, you might see guys come over early and we can get kind of an early glimpse at the Caprizov and the Sorokin. So we'll see. But I, I do believe that the KHL will come back. But in what form and, and who in total? unclear and I think Sayaska right now is in a lot of trouble they're they're sort of bleeding talent as we speak so that's the one team I'll be keeping an eye on in terms of what their makeup's going to look like you mentioned Sorokin um and there were a lot of rumors before the uh, COVID outbreak that he was going to be traded to the Blackhawks or you know he, there were tr rumors that he didn't really want to come play for the Islanders and after the outbreak he ended up signing with the Islanders and as you uh, said before he will be coming over to the NHL do you think the outbreak had any uh, effect on his decision? I think Ilya was always coming over now, um, and I, I think that he's in the perfect time frame. And he's won the Gagarin Cup with Sayaska. He's won an Olympic gold. He's, he's achieved some measure of success. And guys like Sergei Fedorov, who's actually on the board of Red Army, where Sorokin's coming from, he always suggests that players wait until their, their mid-20s when they have some firepower behind them on their CV before they come over to the NHL. It makes the transition easier. So I don't necessarily think that COVID sped up his timeline. I'm not sure how much merit there was to the trade talks. Um, I think he's actually going to quite a nice situation at the Islanders. Um, having another Russian goaltender in Barlamov there is a, a good plus for someone like him who's going to be orienting and, and kind of finding his way in the locker room. But 
overall, I, I think Sorokin timed his entry quite right. He had a great season in the KHL, and not to mention the fact that he's going to be going head-to-head with his good buddy, Igor Shostyorkin, who, of course, has the upper hand because he's had some NHL starts, but it really couldn't have worked out better for the two of them who grew up together dreaming of seizing this NHL opportunity side-by-side, which is exactly what they're going to do. Yeah, but let's... I don't. I know we haven't had you on since the preseason leading into this year, and that means you. We haven't talked to you during Igor's magnificent run in Hartford, and his even more magnificent run when he actually got promoted <laughs> to the NHL. There, no, no chance in hell Sorokin could come over and have as immediate an impact as Igor, right? Or am I just being a douchebag Ranger fan? Um, a little bit of that, but wow. I'm gonna say I think I. I think Ilya's um, learning curve is going to be a little, a little steeper than Igor's, if only because Ilya is the more aggressive by far of the two goaltenders. And I think as he begins to test himself in the NHL, either he's going to prove that that aggressiveness just like in the KHL works, or he's going to have to figure out a way to, to tamp down on it a little bit. Between the two of them, if you look at them statistically, Igor edged him out in the regular season the last time that the two of them were in the KHL together. Um, Sorokin was third goals against average. Igor was first with a magnificent 111. This was, I guess, now two seasons ago. But if you look at the postseason, Ilya Sorokin carried Red Army through the playoffs, and eventually they won the Gagarin Cup for the first time since the Soviet Union fell. So there was a lot of pressure on Ilya to get it done because they hadn't gotten it done in the postseason before. So Ilya is a very battle-tested goaltender, just like Igor was. He's also done quite well on the national stage. He is a very, very good goaltender. He's extremely athletic. I mean, this is a guy who has flexibility that's almost unhuman, and when he's aggressive and it looks like maybe he's overcommitted, he drops down and that incredible acrobatic tendency he has comes into play and, and he makes the save. So statistically, they're very, very close. And I mean, I, I think that Sorokin's going to do quite well. The one thing I will say about Shostyorkin is he has an incredible confidence that borders on arrogance. And I totally am here for it. I think it's great because Same. he has the hard work and the skill to back it up. And that made him a steel trap in the NHL from day one. I don't, Sorokin is a very serious goaltender. There's no question about that. He doesn't have that like extra edge of showmanship that Igor has. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in the pressure of playing for the Islanders. Hockey's fun. Um, So everything you're saying right now is a nightmare for me because Sorokin is going to (laughs) be in my life, maybe as long as Igor is in my life for, which means a very long time. Um, yeah. and we'll be seeing him four times Buckle a year up. and those games will be hell every single time as they usually always are, unless Panarin scores like five goals and that we have a really great time or Mika Zvitajad beats the Islanders in overtime. And I also have a really <laughs> great time. Um, but tell me a little bit about their, they grew up together and like this rivalry that they're going to have. Um, is it, I mean, you said this was their dream. What is sort of their background or, or if you know it? Yeah, so the two of them have been, they've known each other since they were 17. They went to a Team Russia camp together. And they've had this kind of interesting rivalry from opposite ends of, of Moscow and St. Petersburg. So to, to kind of explain the KHL, Scott and Seyeska have very similar names. They often confuse people when they're, they're looking at the KHL for the first time. Seyeska stands for the Central Sporting Club of the Army, Scott, the Sporting Club of the Army. Both of these teams, as the name would suggest, have their roots in the Red Army. 
So these two teams have a similar background and makeup when you look at their history. They are from two rival cities, Ska, the city of Peter the Great, the like great European capital he built, and Moscow, the the ancient capital, the home of the Kremlin, et cetera. So you have this wonderful Moscow versus St. Petersburg vibe, which is kind of like New York, L.A., two teams that derive from the same basis, but they're rivals. I mean, when they met outdoors, they did this cool outdoor derby game. I was there in 2018. They got 67,000 people to a soccer stadium that was freezing cold in December. So they've already been on the opposite ends of a mega rivalry, and they've had to battle it out for national team position too. They were born within a couple months of each other, so they're they're super close. They're not close in style, but they're close in stats, and they've been on the opposite ends of rival teams before. And like I, I just read this, my colleague Igor at Sport Express posted that they actually play as the Rangers and the Isles on NHL 20, which is hilarious. So they have this kind of thing going where they always dreamt of coming over together. And if you, if you even look at social media, there's pictures of the two of them on their various Team Russia trips. There's a hilarious video of them in, I think it's in Milan, where they're singing a duet in the middle of the street. And I asked Ilya, I was like, are we going to get more music from the two of you when you both are in New York? And he's like, only in the summer. But I, I expect more music videos from these two. And they just have this kind of funny, silly friendship that on the ice, it's all war and it's it's work. But after the fact, it's, it's silly. And... Ilya said to me, it's really pushed us both in a better direction and it's helped us to develop. And I hope it'll always stay that way. So I actually think the only winner of this are Isles and Rangers fans because they're going to push each other to be the absolute best that they can be. Doesn't sound like I'm a winner. I was like, did you say they they have music videos? <laughs> they do. They sang a duet. They sang a duet in the streets of Milan. All right, well, I will send it to you. Please do. Cause I'm going to have to do a breakdown of this. This is pretty, pretty serious. I, I want to play by play of this. Yeah, I will. The good, the, good, the good news is there are a lot of late night karaoke bars that they can go to in New York City. Yeah, in 2022 Russians when they're open. Love karaoke. It'll be perfect. It'll happen. Yeah, in like 2025. Yeah, yeah 2025. Yeah, be no, sick. Hold on. I think the the, the the private karaoke rooms in New York City are going to come out of this fine, though. Oh, because think about it. you're not, you're only going to be around people you know. And six, or, six or less. Yeah. Okay, that's true. All right. Can we. Can we maybe invite them both to your next open bar and just see what they can do? Put a microphone out and let them battle it out on the dance floor? Listen, I invited Panarin last time. I slid in his DMs. He said, sometimes coming. So I think he might, you know, yes. he might be coming. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine? And then he shows up in the vodka. I won't remember anything that happens the next day. I think they would, they would say the only right. way that you can do this is if you don't remember anything. So speaking of Panarin, he is the most elite quarantiner I've ever seen in my life. Have you been watching his quarantine posts? I have not been watching all of his quarantine posts, but I know he's living in Florida with uh, Bob. Is that correct? I saw him there at some point. I feel like he's kind of quarantined with many random Russians that have been left over in the United States. Sort of makes sense. I know he was building a fence. I know he was like hanging with his dog. It's also also not how you quarantine with many people. That's not how you do it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I know. I know. Also, too, he posted this picture, and I did like a whole little calculation on this, of Russian dumplings and caviar. And I saw there were like 11 pieces of toast with caviar, which means 11 tablespoons of caviar. And I was like looking at the average price per gram. And I think that in that one photograph, there was over $400 worth of caviar. Listen, you know, I, I, he can, he can afford it before. He can, 
If if any yeah. if any one of the Rangers could afford four hundred dollars worth of caviar in one picture, I think it's Artemi Panarin. He also donated Especially like he's building custom sticks in his backyard and selling them to Connor McDavid, like he claims. He's got a side business going. He even has the side hustle. <laughs> I didn't know he was selling. He's selling sticks to Connor McDavid. This is ridiculous. <laughs> he, he was like joking around. He's like, I'm making sticks, Connor. Like I'll make you one. That's fucking. Yeah. Like, he's all he's doing is doing recruiting. Connor McDavid's going to debate a trade to the Rangers in like a year now. It's great. <laughs> Exactly. Future Ranger uh, Connor McDavid or Jack Heichel, whichever yeah. one, whichever one he's, comes first. He's just Artemi Panarin's just planting the seeds of unrest in Edmonton while the rest of us are in isolation. He's a he's a he's a genius. I mean, Artemi Panarin is waging psychological war in quarantine from Florida with dumplings and four hundred dollars of caviar. Elite to, quarantiner, I told you, elite. To be fair, he did donate a bunch of masks and, a, and PPE also to a bunch of hospitals in, in New York City. Uh, that guy loves New York City more than, I mean, he's only really been there for one year, uh, but he loves New York City like he's been there his whole life. So uh, he's a true, true New Yorker. Yeah, it's it's kind of cute and endearing. It, it like When he like does the FaceTime, and he's like, hey, New York Ranger fans, like, I kind of love you. You're like, yeah, Artemi. 100-point <laughs> scorer, absolute ruthless assassin. He loves me. I'm interested. Um, I love it. Well, he has. I feel like he's really assimilated into New York. He's He's done such a good job with – endearing himself to the fan base and the Rockette kick. I think that's just fantastic. He's even on brand with MSG because they own the Rockettes. I love it. That's marketing genius. So what happens with you now? What are you, what are you up to these days? <sighs> what a great question. I well, know. Aside from occasionally doing fitness classes and destroying my neighbors downstairs mm-hmm. uh, online, I, I'm still working on projects for the KHL. The face-off took a bit of a break as everyone was fleeing their various countries to go home, but hopefully that will be coming back in the next couple of weeks. I actually just did the season wrap with Bob Hartley, um, the Stanley Cup winning coach who was coaching avant-garde and has been for the past two seasons. And I was in Russia. The reason, so I was in Russia until March 10th or 11th, and then I kind of got ripped out with the travel ban because I was there for the women's finals. So they've actually given me the opportunity to do a headline story on the Russian Women's League every week, but on the men's homepage, which is super awesome of them. And it's been really fun kind of getting to know some of the ladies on that side. So that's sort of what I'm working on. But I mean, with the KHL done, it's, it's really strange. It's actually kind of scary. Like it was the first time couple weeks ago I was just looking around I was like what am I gonna work on so I actually I have some cool stuff coming up on my blog that I'm doing on the side I'm doing a little series with goaltenders and one of them is a former New York Rangers goaltender so I hope you'll like it but other than that like organizing my puck collection um, alphabetically organizing my jerseys I don't know what are you guys doing surviving well well Greg's betting Greg did (laughs) Greg did horse math today for an hour and a half I, I did. I did. I've gambled out 178 <laughs> horses since this lockdown started is what, is what my, uh, no, are you serious? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I did. I did some serious math today. I've gambled on 93 different races. It's a very thrilling time to be me. Uh, I do have, I do have a racing horses. They're racing horses. Now, Jillian, we're not playing any other sports. Jillian, Florida, Florida is the wild, wild west. They don't give a shit about anything. <laughs> if they, if they probably play... jockeying one of them. What do we know? Yeah, Ron DeSantis is the guy I don't bet on when he runs the horses. But if they could be playing any sport right now, they would. They don't give a shit. Uh, but if, if we want to talk, if we want to talk an actual KHL news story, uh, the one I saw at the end of last week, dis- I, I think it's fair to call him a disgraced NHL coach. Bill Peters is now in the. I, he's now in the. He's now in the KHL. Um, yeah. And Nigel Dawes, who was playing for the team that he signed with. 
immediately told the team to fuck off and he's not playing for that team anymore. So timing wise, I, I think right at the end of the season, like right at the end of when Optimal Release dropped out of the first round of the playoffs, they made it clear to Nigel he wasn't coming back um, and that he wasn't getting any kind of extension or new contract. So Nigel's currently looking for uh, a new spot in the KHL. He probably won't have any trouble finding one. First of all, the KHL's leading talent. Second of all, he's an unbelievable um, point sniper, and he's been putting up points season after season. I think he's the only person that comes close to Moziakin's all-time record. Granted, Moziakin, I think, is quite up there, but Nigel Dawes is, is a solid performer in the K. But regardless, I mean, the, the optics of it are absolutely horrendous. And if you want to add insult to injury, um, they think that Slava Voinov, if he doesn't go to the NHL, rumor has it he's going to go to Bill Peters. So that's going to be a fascinating uh, story if and when it, it actually comes to fruition. But you know, it's, it's really tough for me because when I look at it, Nigel Dawes is such an ambassador for the KHL, and he's one of the few players of color playing in the league. Devontae Sipelli I interviewed earlier in the season. He's one of the only Stanley Cup winners playing in the league, at least as of last season, and I think he has designs on coming back to the NHL. But, you know, for a league that is so international and is trying to, to modernize and appear, appear pro- progressive, these things are, are kind of six or they're bumps in the road. And I, I don't necessarily agree with the decision to just take talent at whatever ethical cost it, it's happening. And I'm, I'm expressing my personal opinion here. It's not on behalf of the league, obviously, but it's a, yeah, it's a tough headline and, and it's, it's rough for me. And I think Nigel does because he's currently looking for a new spot in the KHL. We may not necessarily hear from him just yet on this decision, but I, I would imagine at some point we will, and, and I can imagine that it's really tough for the players who are looking on and saying, okay, the NHL is holding uh, Peters up to a certain standard. The KHL is not, and it's providing an opportunity, whereas I'm not sure, but I thought the investigation with Peters was still ongoing. Is that right in the NHL? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's actually facing any NHL discipline right now. I just think the Flames got rid of him, and for lack of a better term, he's kind of been excommunicated by all the other organizations, but I don't think the NHL has, like, while the while MLB suspended AJ Hinch and Jeff Lunau, I don't think Bill Peters is facing any mm. disciplinary action from the NHL as of now. The Flames, which is, the, it, yeah. which is depressing. But yeah, I, I think I could be wrong, but I, I'm under the impression Bill Peters isn't in the NHL anymore because the Flames made a decision on their own to remove him after significant outside pressure. I don't yeah, think the NHL course. has. I don't think the NHL has actually levied any kind of suspension against it. Yeah, it's it's such a tough situation. I, you know, I, my heart really goes out to Nigel. I, I, I know that he's going to land on his feet, but the discomfort that is associated with this, I, I just, I, I can imagine it's unreal. And you know, I really, I feel for him and his family, and I, I, I hate to see it because I, I love the idea. The KHL is so international in terms of its makeup. And to be able to see them become more inclusive, that's something that's very important to me. And I think it's important to all the countries involved there. And, and I don't think the hire of Peters necessarily puts them, well, obviously, it doesn't put them in a better position. So that's a, that was a tough one. And we knew it was coming. There was, there was rumors of it from before, and, and I'm not necessarily surprised. But yeah, Dawes, I had heard that Dawes was, was gone even before the first Peters story broke. You know, any relationship between those two headlines, I, I don't know. Um, but Dawes was told essentially that he wasn't going to be continuing on and often will be released. And, and the initial 
rumors around that, and, and I take everything, all Russian rumors with a grain of salt, had to do with his relationship to Pavel Datsuk, who is the hometown hero who went back to Yekaterinburg to play this past season. I had no evidence, at least when I was talking to Dawes, of that being true. But, you know, the season progressed. Optimobilist kind of saw a change in fortunes. Um, in fact, they actually did rally toward the end, and it was it was a big deal that they qualified for the playoffs. But, you know, overall, it's just it's interesting timing and it's tough. And I, I'm very curious to see where Nigel lands, but I'm sure that it's going to be somewhere fantastic. And, and that's what I'm hoping for. But yeah, the, the Peter story was, was big news out of the KHL this week. Julian, I kind of have a question that's totally different than everything you just discussed. And it, you might have no information whatsoever, but have you heard anything from the Kravstov camp at all uh, and how they felt about his season and, and playing in Hartford for the rest of the year? Or is, uh, or is he back in Russia? Is he in the United States? I don't, I have, I don't know anything about Kravstov since he, since the season has sort of ended. Vitaly Kravtsov is back home in Vladivostok, and actually he's, uh, he's been doing a lot of great community service. He was delivering groceries that. to the elderly of Vladivostok um, as of last week, and I think I saw a video of him picking up trash. Like, this kid is just, he's owning his, his quarantine service. So he, he's been doing some really wonderful things in his community um, in, in Vladivostok, where he's from. You know, when I look back on his, I haven't heard anything specifically from him, but when I look back on, on this season, I mean, obviously it was very disjointed. And for a young kid that's trying to develop confidence, there was sort of no win because when he went back to Russia, if he were going back to another organization, I would have said, okay, he was going back to a ska where Shostyorkin came from or a say a ska like Sorokin. He'd be going back to a world-class organization that's your closest comparable to the NHL. Chelly Obinsk was languishing at the bottom of the standings. Fans were boycotting games over allegations of mismanagement. And then when he got there, he was sort of looked upon as this savior for the season. And I think we all know that one young prospect is not going to save a team that's sitting in last place of the Eastern Conference. And then around the time of a national team break, he got sent down to the VHL. That caused all hell to break loose in what I thought was kind of a a rough kick on the way out, the management of Chelyabin's kind of implied that he came back from North America broken. And to make those kind of statements publicly about a young kid that's trying to kind of, I don't know, get his feet back under him, I, I didn't love the whole situation. I thought that as he got back to Hartford toward the end, he was starting to look more settled. But obviously, you know, he's had, it, it was sort of a wash of a first season. I thought in Traverse City, he looked pretty good. That was the first time that I was looking at him in an unbroken, an unbroken span in North America. And I think he put up five points. I remember he had two goals in one of those, like, come from behind, you know, must win mm -hmm. third periods or, or whatever. Like, I just remember him being more of the Vitaly Kravtsov that, that I saw when he made it in the playoffs with Chelly Albinsk and he was named Rookie of the Year. But I haven't seen flashes of that again. And I really hope that if, like, let's say he starts off in Hartford, next season that he's sort of resigned to it and comfortable and that we can start to see some of that creativity come out. Because I think when you're not confident, it's pretty hard to be creative and that's exactly what we're hoping for from him. So I don't know. I feel for the kid. I, I really hope that he gets on his feet. I think he's a pretty good kid and he's doing a lot of good things for his community in the meantime, which is nice to see. That is good. To, good news. I mean, uh, I just hope he's picking up other trash in the future, AKA other teams. Um <laughs> Greg, I have no no more questions, uh, Your Honor. Do you have any other ones? Um, which I guess the most important question, Jillian, the one that we probably should have led this interview off with, but we'll bring it in at the end. 
Uh, which puppy is clearly more Russian, uh, Simba or Mr. Rizzi? Oh, this is this is a great question. I've seen a lot of Russian influencers hitting the TikTok choreography in a whole new way. And after I saw um, Simba and Igor doing their TikTok quarantine little dance, I think you may have seen that it was the last thing that Igor posted and the dog had memorized the choreography. That to me sounds Russian dog personally. Yeah. And I, I literally have no idea how he trained that dog to do that, but that's impressive in and of itself. And Igor may have another career in dog training after his very long NHL run is done. Determination. Uh, Jillian, thanks so much for coming on. Anything you want to plug? <laughs> Anything I want to plug? Um, follow me on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm at Caviar Diplomat, and I have a goalie series coming out this week, and it's really lighthearted, and I hope everybody likes it. It'll be on my blog, but I'll tweet it out. Awesome. awesome. Jillian, how do, you, how do you survive following 50,000 people on Twitter? How do I survive? I thrive. I love it. <laughs> I follow back. I actively follow, and I follow back. I do, I will admit, I do have a burner account where I have like more curated lists. And so like, if I need to look for like specific news on something, I'm there. But I love following hockey fans because I feel like so often journalists are just talking at you, but I get to talk to them and I get to see like when their dogs are doing fun things and I get to like hear all the crazy hot takes, especially about the Russians. I love the crazy hot takes about Russians. So I don't know. I enjoy, I personally enjoy it. I think it's not for everyone, but I, I like the overwhelm of, of fan information. I think I've touched my phone like total of three hours in the last week, which usually it would be <laughs> like somewhere among the 70 hours a week I'd be on my phone. And I, I really don't even look at it anymore. I don't even know what I can use Twitter for other than like reacting to the last dance. That's it. Um, all right. Like maybe posting a meme. Yeah, like one meme and walking away. <laughs> Kevin Hayes is high today. All right. Uh, Julia, thanks so much for coming on and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> So good to talk to you. Bye. Hey, we're back. All right. I'm uh, going to do a quick end of the show here. Jillian, obviously one of our favorite guests ever. Awesome insight on the KHL. Awesome insight on Kravstov and Igor. And uh, just a wonderful person. If you don't follow her, you really should. She does. A, she kills the game. Um, I got a message this week from one of our listeners. His name's Jamie Bussold. I think that's how you pronounce the last name. Um, he wanted to just mention his brother on the podcast who passed away from COVID this week. Um, pretty much his brother, uh, William Billy Buzzhole died from COVID and, uh, or passed away rather. And, uh, was a lot, a, a lifelong hockey fan, New York Ranger fan and uh, youth hockey coach who really did a lot. And, uh, for the New York Ranger community. So he asked if I could mention him on the podcast and be happy to do that. Um, I hope everyone is staying okay out there, staying safe. And if you are suffering, uh, you know, through anything at this point, uh, I hope that, you know, that there's a community with you that can always help you. Um, and especially Greg and I, um, I know we're just two assholes, uh, who host a podcast, but, uh, we do our best to try and keep things normal during weird times. And it's hard because we are weirdos ourselves. Uh, so it's keeping things normal is tough, but, uh, my, uh, my condolences out there to anyone who's lost anybody and especially to, uh, Jamie and his family, uh, for everyone dealing with any loss in, um, the New York Ranger community. Uh, Gregory, with that said, any final words before we get out of here? Uh, I was just going to ask you if you had any final or any beginning thoughts on the last dance. Great question. Um, I, I've di I was dying to see it because it felt like a sporting event. Um, I think the first two episodes are really setting up for a lot that what, of what is to come, but the episodes are tremendously edited. Um, and they, they do leave out some information to make Jordan look 
um, even more godly than he already is. Like, I'm not saying Michael Jordan isn't like a god in sports because he is, period, end of story. But like, he didn't win every single year at UNC. They did lose one game. Like, there, there, are, there are things here and there where, where they don't touch on it. But I, I don't think it helps provide the story at all. I was heavily impressed with the document, uh, documentary so far. And Jordan is just, he comes off as like almost really likable in the first two episodes because the one thing that I think sticks out the most is just how much he just wants to win. He doesn't give a shit about anything else. And something about that is just really commendable um, and really inspiring uh, in a person despite how much of a known asshole he is. And also the other takeaway is how much everyone hates Jerry Krause. Like they hate hate him. (laughs) Yeah. And it's now that, I guess I just never saw pictures of Jerry Krause. I didn't either. But if you put him, you put him next to the picture of the Space Jam of, dude. Um, yeah, it's brutal. He, it, it's a it's a one to one comparison. It's brutal. Also, I, I guess we were too young at the time. Obviously, I remember Scottie Pippen being great and understanding that yes, Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time, but Scottie Pippen is the greatest second banana of all time. Uh, I never realized how much they fucked him on the contract stuff. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. And I, the owner of uh, the Bulls doesn't seem like um, the best overall guy. I, I mean, I don't actually think he said to Scottie Pippen, hey, I wouldn't sign that contract if I were you. I don't think that happened. Just, that's just my um, personal opinion. He might have expressed hesitancy about the years, but I guarantee you he never expressed hesitancy about the money, the annual value of the contract. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean – there is a scenario, obviously, it's it's not a lot of money, and you saw the graphic that he was the 122nd highest paid player in the NBA going into the 97-98 season. But, you know, if, if Pippen gets hurt in 1991, you're on the hook for paying him for another six years. So I, 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 I bet you Jerry did say something about, you know, this is a long contract, think twice about signing it before you do. Uh, but then, yeah, at least, at least he owns it, right? Reinsdorf clearly says, "You sign the contract. I'm not talking to you until his contract's over." Like it, it Th- takes that, that is what it, it is. It takes a certain yeah. it's well, it takes a certain set of brass balls to actually say that on TV, right? Yeah. Like it's one thing because he could have just owner speak that away. He's like, you know, there are, he could have said uh, there are a lot of other extenuating circumstances surrounding Scottie Pippen that we couldn't go back and revisit the contract at the time, or. Um, we had an understanding with Scotty that we would talk about it after the season, blah, blah, No, Reinsdorf just sitting there being like, no, fuck you. You signed the contract. We're done. That's it. Don't talk to me again. It's true. Um, and I, we'll, we'll probably touch on this every single week as we go to end the podcast because I just think it's the most interesting thing. Uh, it's in the sp- only thing. Sp- it's the only thing to pay attention to in sports-wise. Um, I, I will never understand how they didn't let this team defend the title one more time. I didn't understand it as what, a kid. 98, 99? Yeah. Didn't understand it as a kid. I, I still don't really get it. I, I I think it's they've done a good job of painting why in the beginning. Jerry Krause had a big ego, and that ego needed to be stroked too. Damn it. At some point, right, right, like That's really crazy. successful, really successful executives are the same as really successful players. Michael Jordan probably says, you know, you don't win those titles without me and Scotty. And then Jerry Krause is probably saying, Jerry Krause is. I mean, is it not what just happened with Bill Belichick and the Patriots and Tom Brady? It's basically it, – it's diff- It's a little different because Jordan still had years on his legs after the 98 season, whereas we think if Brady's not at the end, goddammit, he's close. Yeah, Jordan had six um, years left at least. It, it's, But it's – look, at some point, 
are, is it the system or is it the player? And I think every executive wants to prove it's the system. <laughs> and it's a lot. Of, it, it, look, it, it was just a lot of egos. Phil Jackson's an ego. Michael Jordan's an ego. Well, I Mike, think, Michael Jordan's clearly. Like, so what's above ego? I'm not sure. Scotty Pippen. It sounds like Scotty Pippen was going to leave no matter what. I love the like, line. As as Jerry Krause. The was line. There. I wasn't going to fuck up my summer is unbelievable. Oh, it's an ama- amazing flex by Scotty to be like, yeah, I'll get surgery when the season fucking starts again. Yeah. Fuck you. I'm not going to fuck myself. I'm going to. I'm going to enjoy myself this summer, motherfucker. Scotty. Scotty Pippen, low key assassin, bro. Dude's amazing. They all were. All right. Uh, let's come back next week. Talk about more about that documentary. I'm sure we'll talk a little about the. Uh, the NFL draft, which will happen. I'm sure we'll have some takes oh, on I that. Oh, I am so excited for yep. the NFL draft. And uh, we'll come back and talk more Ranger hockey. Somehow, some way, we do it all the time. Gregory, thanks so much as always. If you want to follow me on Twitter at I'm at O'Reilly Media, you can follow Greg at Boucher's Break, and we will be back next week. Love you guys. Bye-bye. It's time to expect more from urgent care, like caregivers who take time to listen, smooth access to local specialty care if you need it, virtual visits and save your spot convenience, plus easy access community locations. And we're open 365 days a year to treat your sprains, cuts, fever, and flu. Northwell Health Go Health Urgent Care. Get more than you expect and exactly what you need. Welcome to a new era in urgent care.